We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in X's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Josh Allen not practicing today is obviously significant and really got to hand it to Sean McDermott for handling all of those questions, answering them, not answering some, not even being angry in the slightest. I respect his self-control, but let's get into Josh Allen and where he is. My understanding, Mike, is that Josh Allen is dealing with a elbow sprain, a UCL sprain, which is really more of a pitcher injury than a quarterback injury. Kind of rare in football, but just based on the nature of the hit, how it happened, where his elbow bent. This is what sometimes can happen uh, when a player has a pass deflected and part of his elbow gets deflected as well. Day-to-day is a good way to describe it because it really does depend on how he responds today to tomorrow to Friday. From my understanding, his practice uh, participation will be limited, if any, this week. No determination yet on whether he will be able to play. More of a functionality issue than anything else. Simply, can he grip a football? Can he throw a football? Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Ian Rappaport, NFL Network. D- you know, rap like Michael Rappaport or Ian Rap Rap Sheet Rap Sheet Rap Sheet on Twitter. Like Michael Rappaport, how uh, I I just I used to like how Theo Vaughn used to call him Michael Rappaport. It makes me laugh. Talking about Sean McDermott's press conference, discussing the injury to Josh Allen, what his future holds, and obviously the game that lays out in front of us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our Week 10 preview. The Minnesota Vikings versus the Buffalo Bills. Your time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Ralph Wilson Stadium, Orchard Park, New York. The weather, potentially our first snow game of the NFL season. Talking about a high of 40, snow showers early in the day, about 14, 15 mile an hour winds. I'll be at work. 
Are you happy to be missing the first snow game? No, I don't like missing any games, but what can you do? If you had to miss one, though, are you happy you made really great weather primetime games in lieu of... No, I wouldn't want to miss... So I wouldn't want to miss. You. I wouldn't want to miss any any game. Like I've never. You're a trooper. I love that about you. I've never seen Minnesota. So you uh, tell me this: you wouldn't have bailed on me no. in the winter of 2017 when that Colts snowstorm blew into town. No, I did. I didn't have season tickets with you, but you did ask me to go, <laughs> and I said no. <laughs> of course, you did. Well, it's a, right. it's a combination of it being a December game, us being out of the playoffs. Were we out of the playoffs, though? I'm pretty what? sure. The Colts, 2017, the year we broke the drought? I thought it was... Over, that, that was overtime Was that the win. drought season? I thought that was the year before. It was before. the drought season. Couldn't see the field. It was snowing so hard. Kelvin Benjamin lined up offsides before the snap by like half a yard, and the refs couldn't see well enough to call it. <laughs> and you chickened out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The line on the game, Chris, what do you got? Because it's been volatile. It's three and a half, Buffalo. Oh, we're down to three and a half. I think it started at nine and a half. Yeah, it started at nine and a half a week ago. I know um, Monday night when I was re-listening to the the herd at work, Jason McIntyre had said that they a lot of books had uh, not put that game up yet because they didn't know the severity of the Allen injury. So they didn't have a line for it, but it started at like nine and a half. It's worked its way down to three and a half for Buffalo. So three and a half points like that. So Josh Allen represents a touchdown. Yes. Just one. Yeah, just one. Just one. Well, depending on how he's played the last six quarters. The crew officiating the game is Mr. Craig Rolstad, who I've, I don't know well enough. To have a problem with. That's probably a good thing. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, this, okay, that's promising. It's the same thing that you'd say something about Reed, you know? Well, if no one knows Reed's name or knows who he is, it's probably a good thing because he's not fucking up snaps. You know, it's funny. Now that I see him, I recognize his face. I have seen this guy before. (laughs) You say that like you've seen him at a local bar. He he actually like when you look at him, he like if you were to Google right now Craig Rolstad, those of you listening, pause this podcast, look at Craig Rolstad, he looks like a failed actor. He looks like a guy who probably at some point tried out, tried to you know who he almost looks a little bit like? Is that guy, uh ha- part of Happy Madison Productions that Adam Sandler just like drags through every single one of his projects? Like those are his only film credits. Which, uh, who is, is like, it? The picture anger management, and he's the guy going, the anger sharks are swimming in All my right, head. All right, that guy. That yeah. guy. If you go to his IMDb, Adam Sandler is the only person putting this guy in projects and movies, but he did it because it was a buddy of his, and he was going to put him in his movies just so the guy could get benefits. Like, hey, you'll get SAG benefits, and it'll be fine. <laughs> Like, that's a good friend, right? Yeah. That's what Craig Rolstad, go Google it right now. That's who he reminds me of. Hopefully he doesn't have that same energy this weekend during our football game. And on the call, Chris, who do we have? Fresh off the World Series, we have Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston. We got the B team on Fox. All right. And here's the uh, map. So this is a Fox broadcast. Yes, there's the map. All the red is 
Buffalo and Minnesota. Holy crap. Well, obviously they had that scheduled well in advance of the Josh Allen injury. Yeah, well, there's only three one o'clock Fox games, so. Oh, okay. Well, and who are we going up against? You Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, so if you live in like uh, the suburbs of Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans, and <laughs> Pittsburgh. Yeah, you, you know what's funny is I bet you there's people in like I love how how just that tiny bit of like Illinois is yeah. getting that game. And then the lower half of Illinois is stuck getting the Bills game. But I bet you there's people who live there that are like, you know what? I'm good on this. I, I'd still pay you $5 to let me watch something else. Yeah, yeah. It sucks that people, if you live in Erie, Pennsylvania, you don't get the Bills game. You're subject to New Orleans and Pittsburgh. That's hilarious. Yeah. <sighs> the injuries to watch for this one, it's a it's a doozy. For Minnesota, the most important are going to be Delvin Tomlinson, who did not he's their starting defensive tackle who did not play last week. Questionable with a calf injury. Cornerback two Cam Dantzler is doubtful. The, co- the coach already said it's going to be a long shot for him to play. So he's their starting he's their starting cornerback opposite Patrick Peterson. For the Bills, a whopping 13 players on today's report with some kind of injury designation. The most important, Jordan Poyer, Greg Rousseau, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, Spencer Brown, Trey White, all listed as questionable. And then as we heard in the opening of the show, Josh Allen, questionable, listed as day-to-day. Chris, isn't this just the best way to handle this situation before a game like this? Yeah. Buffalo Bills going up against a seven-win team. They're cocky. Their quarterback has his shirt off. He looks like two chains. What do they call him? Eight chains? He's shirtless, flexing, and dancing to rap on an airplane like their team. That, they, did they call him eight chains? Yes. That's hilarious. Who, I wonder who came up with that. They probably said eight chains because eight is the first number in his credit score. <laughs> Here's what I like. This team is coming in here with a ton of confidence right now. They've been win- they've been squeaking out close bullshit games all season long. And now they're going to stroll into Buffalo and they're like, "Oh, Josh Allen's hurt. Oh, this is going to be a bloodbath." We don't we're not going to give you that. Of course, Josh of course Sean McDermott's going to handle this the way that he handled it in the press conference. It really does make for an interesting case study though in what this football team is, doesn't it? Yeah. Like what what does this coaching staff think of the rest of the roster? You know, when they assembled it in the offseason, there was a reason that we were the Super Bowl favorites. It's because you thought you put together the deepest team. Well, if you genuinely believe that, and rest is what's most important for Josh Allen to be as close to eighty or ninety percent down the stretch of the season as he can be, then I think it only makes sense for them to roll the dice with Case Keenum. And go out there and try to play a game. You're supposed to be the most talented. Go out there and prove it. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how these injuries shake out over the course of the rest of the week. Obviously, an important factor of this entire weekend is the tailgate situation. Another tailgate, Chris. What What is it? Google the weather for me, if you could. Give me, give me a goog on that. I'm trying to figure out what the temperature is going to be at about 6 a.m. when I show up at the mud lot this week. It'll probably be for those of us who are cold. For those of you who are uh, coming out to tailgate, this is what you're looking at. What is saying? So a high of forty. Yep. 
So if that's the case, what's the low? 30. All right. That's not so bad. Yeah. What, just slightly below freezing? Yeah. Ground will be nice and hard? Yep. I like it. I like where we're headed. It's fire pit season, Mark Smith. You heard me. You better bust that thing out. I thought the last time he had it, it didn't work. Well, he better he better sort that out. Otherwise, I'll I'll bring the Dewalt heater and Potter will set himself on fire again in front of his wife. <laughs> oh, she's coming. <laughs> she is coming. She haven't she have my ticket? Yes. God damn it! You know what I think is funny? I was going to text her and be like, "Hey, so do you want to Venmo Chris yourself, or do you want me? Do you want to just Venmo me? Because she hates you." I barely talked to her. <laughs> Not shocking. Someone who barely knows you still yeah. hates you. I'm just glad that they didn't send me an invite to the wedding. <laughs> so are they. That's the beauty of it. So are yeah. they. I really made my day. So this is this is what I love about this tailgate. It's going to be me. It's going to be Emon. It's going to be Mark Smith. The Bill's Helmet Bar crew is coming down from Keswick, Ontario to come party with us. We're going to have a spread of food. It's going to be a great time. The whole, the, the usual suspects at our tailgate are probably going to be there. What's Blake, what's Blake going to cook? Moose? Moose. <laughs> I don't know. They always manage to come Moose? down in the land yacht. Moose with a, with a maple syrup glaze. Chris, the, the, everyone sees the Bill's Helmet Bar people on social media, and they're like, oh, we love these guys. We love how cool. And it's like. What you don't understand is that Blake is a small man, and he does not dress nearly warm enough for cold weather. He doesn't but, have the meat on the bones. But it's because he's from Canada. It's it's in his blood. I see him, and he makes me look cold at cold weather tailgates. And then what I love even more is that him and his crew show up like the O'Doyle family from <laughs> from Billy Madison. They they they'll come low riding in in what they call the land yacht. It's like a giant Chrysler. And they come pulling in, and then like eight of them will get out of it like a clown car. And then you watch the whole vehicle. The one guy, Chris, you remember the one guy? He was like six foot three, two hundred and sixty pounds. I haven't met Blake or his, his any crew? of his crew. I have not been there. They get out of the car. Like at first, you think it's a low rider, and then they all just get out. It's like Jesus Christ, guys! I love the way they come rolling in. It's just. They got meat stashed under seats. They got coolers full of beer. It's a great time. Make sure you find your way to the mud lot. I know Trevor's going to be there. Yep. Trevor. Uh, God. He's coming back. Remember when he sat Is with he us? bringing his wife? If he does, he yeah. better remember to leave the keys at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uber together or leave her the keys. <laughs> So make sure you come find us in the mud lot. 5330 Big Tree Road. Plenty of Montucky on tap. Plenty of Montucky on tap. It's going to be a great time. So when it comes to the game itself, for two teams that don't play each other a lot, the Bills and Vikings have had some really fun games over the last 20 years. You actually showed me the highlights of this first one. Do you remember, do you remember Mike Hollis? I do. Okay. 2002, Drew Bledsoe and Dante Culpepper are dueling to a Bills overtime win that took a Mike Hollis banger of a 54-yarder to set up Peerless Price on a 48-yard overtime touchdown catch. Yeah, they, we sent the Vikings to 0-2 there. 45-39. to 39. Like, That's a that. firefight of a football game. It's a hell of a fourth quarter. <laughs> 29 points in total in the fourth quarter of that game. Like, that's a, that is what, like, that's what everyone expected from Chiefs-Bills. 
four fireworks, fi- four field goals from Mike Hollis. <laughs> I like it. Fast forward to 2010. Ryan Fitzpatrick, having taken over for basically finished Trent Edwards, stumbled into Minnesota with a roster that's in shambles and just got like Adrian Peterson just put on a show. He just put on a show. Three touchdowns. The Bills get beat 38 to 14. Like that game was embarrassing. I remember seeing it and just being like, thank God. Thank God the end of the season is right around the corner because I can't watch much more of this shit. 2014, Kyle Uncle Rico Orton, and I believe what was his second start, I think he started the game against the Patriots the week before, throws just this improbable drive, time winding down. There's like five seconds left when he snaps the football. They're down 16 to 10. Two-yard pass to Watkins. Two-yard, two feet in the cor- in the front corner. Just tucks it in to Sammy Watkins for the game-winning touchdown with one second left on the clock. Stadium going nuts. I'm outside because I already left. I was like, fuck this. And I stormed out. And as I'm outside, I'm watching it on the screen over the thing. And I was like, oh, this is the best. And then a cop walked up to me and was like, how did you get out of here with a beer? (laughs) I had to run away. (laughs) Look at this. We're on pro football reference right now. Look at this. You had Ed Hockley. As a referee, and then John Hussey was a line judge. Jesus. It's got to be two of your favorite referees of all time. If I ever run into either one of them, I'm just going to bite them. Like like a Florida man on bath salts, that guy's getting it. And then 2018, the most recent contest, in the face of what looked like insurmountable odds, Rookie quarterback Josh Allen not only jumped over a defender for the first time in his NFL career, which just set Tony Romo's hair on fire, but scored a massive 27 first quarter points on route to a, just a blowout win. <laughs> I mean, I, what, they gave up six points in the second half. The team was fired yeah. up. The boys were rolling because Josh Allen said, fuck you, Anthony Barr. I'm sick of losing football games. <laughs> Do you know what the line was for that game? It had to be pretty sizable. What do you think it was? I mean, Josh Allen had got the Bills got blown out week one. They went home and got embarrassed by San Diego. And well, at the time they were San Diego, so I can say that. And uh, fucking what's his face? Vontae Davis quit in the middle of the game. Our team was a laughing stock. So the, the, the line had to be at least 10. Here, I'll scroll down. Look at this on the. Uh Main one right there. 16 and a half. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, deservedly so. And Josh Allen came out in that game and was just like, fuck you guys. Fuck losing. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner, and I'm about to show you. You would I would have wanted to know what Buffalo was on the money line if the spread was that bad. I remember that tailgate. We were at Mike and Melissa's house. Yeah, 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 Mike Collins' house outside watching it in the driveway. I had to drink a Seagram's. Not just a Seagram's, but a 24-ounce can of Seagram's because it's the only thing we had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all in all, the Buffalo Bills are 4-1 against the Vikings since the turn of the century. And whenever they get together, it just seems like there's fireworks. So I wonder if this game is going to be any different. 
Now, usually we sit here and we go, here's the offense, here's the defense, but ultimately I was, A, so consumed with Josh Allen's bullshit this week, and B, it's my podcast. I'll do whatever the fuck I want with it. I want to break this up a little bit. First of all, I just want to look at the, the philosophy of this one. I mean, the 2022 Vikings are a weird football team. I'm sitting here. Chris, pull that back up. Go, go, go find Minnesota. Go click Minnesota. Bring me the 2022 Minnesota Vikings. These guys? Huh? Yeah. Put, put that on this. Let, let's walk this down here. Can you throw this over here on the screen for me? Boom. Okay. So let's let, let's share this to this monitor right in front of me. So let's walk this down. They beat the Green Bay Packers, who look like they're rudderless. Like they 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 look like they're finished. Uh, they got mollywopped by the Philadelphia Eagles, who look like one of the few legitimate football teams in the NFC. The Detroit Lions, they beat them by four points, and it took some fourth quarter heroics to get there. Uh, a three-point win over the New Orleans Saints. Six wins, one score game. Uh, Chicago Bears, 29-22. The Dolphins. Like, like, I'm looking at this. They haven't won a game since week one by more than seven points. Their victories have come against a who's who of crappy football teams. Uh, Skylar Thompson? Skylar Thompson for the Miami Dolphins. You're, you're going to uh, pat yourself on the back that you beat a third-string quarterback? The stat chasers in the analytics community are absolutely not sold on this football team. They're 18th in DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. Buffalo is second, right? So despite their record, like they're they're not as in, imposing as you might think statistically. They're 27th in completion percentage against, 10th passing offense. Yet they carry the 27th ranked passing defense, and now they're missing their CB2. 24th in the NFL in rushing, and 24th in attempts, yet 10th in rush yards allowed. They're equal parts really bad and really good, and yet the record says they're a dominant football team. So what is it that's keeping them afloat besides dumb luck? I don't know. I'm itching to find out on Sunday because the team absolutely has the look of one. The Bills, regardless of who starts at quarterback, should be able to go toe-to-toe with this team. And there's a bunch of things that make me feel that way. I've broken them down just into buckets, and I'm going to see how this goes because, honestly, it was a lot of it was fun putting this together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Chris, here's the good. I mean, because don't get me wrong, there's a bunch of things that don't suck about the Vikings. Their pass rush, they have the sixth fewest blitzes in football, but they're 10th in the league in sacks. And when you look at their top defensive ends, Zadarius Smith leads the NFL in pressures, and he's tied for third in sacks with eight. Daniel Hunter, or Daniel, I wouldn't want to call him Daniel. Would me calling him Danielle be like that uh, time when, what's his face, Jim Rome called Chris Everett Chrissy? No, he called... Jim Everett, Chris Everett. Jim Everett, Chrissy. Okay, he called him Chrissy, and he was no, like, I Chris, bet. he called him Chris Everett in reference to the tennis player." And he was just like, "I bet you won't say it again." Yeah, <laughs> I bet you, bet you, I will, Chris. <laughs> and then he flipped the table. Do you think me accidentally referring to him as Danielle Hunter and then doing it like eight more times, he might just do the same thing? Yeah, you're you're gonna call him Danielle Hunter the rest of the podcast. What's up, Danielle? 
<laughs> no, I th- their defensive line, along with former Buffalo Bill Harrison Phillips, they're an imposing group. Now, Delvin Tomlinson is one of the best run-stopping defensive tackles statistically in football, and he's been very, very good. He's just a huge dude. He's a tree stump. He's Daquan Jones. He's the guy that you have to basically run around because he doesn't move. Then you factor in all the defensive tackles they rotate around him, and none of them are names. But at the same time, statistically as a group, they put together some really, really impressive performances. And again, statistically, they're crushing it. I mean, you watch their defensive front just harass everybody. You go down the list of their games, Chris, if you go back to Pro Football Reference and you pull it up, I want you to look at this at the same time I do. The Minnesota Vikings. Take a look at, like, so just pull up the Washington Commanders. And then let's go, let's just look at their last two games, Commanders and Cardinals. Okay? And then you go down to where it says Advanced Stats. Advanced Defense. I click on them. So they had, just from their defensive line, right? This is just the defensive line against the Washington Commanders last week. Three pressures from DJ Wanham. Uh, Zadarius Smith has three. Daniel Hunter has three. Harrison Phillips has one. Three, six, nine, ten pressures and three sacks just from the defensive line. They didn't need help from anybody else. Not only that, but then that same group also, Daniel Hunter, seven tackles. Five tackles for Zadarius Smith. Like, Harrison Phillips had four in the run game. Realistically, when you take a look at their pass rush and their defensive line play, this is a group that is very much like the New York Jets that we just played. They are able to control the line of scrimmage in a lot of football games and at least force teams away from rushing the football simply because you can't. They gum up they gum up all of your rushing lanes. They're big bodies who impose their will, and they get a killer pass rush going. And so, in that way, like they're the tenth ranked rushing defense for a reason. They're able to impose their will on you and force you to replace your running game with a short area passing attack. In that way, they kind of make you one dimensional, even if it does lead to points. It makes your approach one-dimensional. And at the same time, it also increases the likelihood of turnovers, which is something that they also do very well. Like, that's something we'll hit on later in the podcast. They also have offensive star power. I mean, maybe you've heard of Justin Jefferson. He passed Stephon Diggs this past week. Is that that uh, trade no one will let go? Yep. He passed Stephon Diggs last week by 10 yards and is now in second in the NFL in receiving yards and leads the team in targets. He's also second in the NFL behind Cooper Cup in yards after the catch. And they move him. I think that's what's important about him. He, he plays an equal number of snaps from the outside to the slot. They move him all over the offensive formation in order to try to get matchups that they think they can exploit. Now, obviously, you'd hope our pass rush can exploit their struggling interior offensive line. But if they can't, the Bills are going to have their hands full with Justin Jefferson. That's going to be a long day for these young kids. And for what it's worth, their running back, Delvin Cook, 
is still a beast. Six all-purpose touchdowns this year. We have our own cook. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I would trade them in a heartbeat. He only has one single 100-yard rushing game to his credit, but he's been a menace all season long. Except last week, where hopefully the Vikings put something on tape that the Bills can use. He, I don't know. The Commanders held him to 47 yards on 17 attempts and just two catches for nine yards on six targets. Some something in that game, the commander. I mean, and the commanders have how many first round draft picks? They don't even have Chase Young, but they have Mo, what Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, uh, Deron Payne. Like they've got multiple first round and second round draft picks playing on the defensive line. Like I get it, you're very good, but the Bills' defensive line, we paid a lot of money for that to be just as good. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, missing Greg Rousseau is going to hurt. They already say he's week to week, so I doubt we see him this weekend. But with that in mind, maybe there's something out there that we can use on tape to slow him down. But what I think is most interesting about that matchup, specifically with Delvin Cook, given the offensive line issues the Vikings have experienced, we've watched them running more and more out of 11 personnel in this attempt to give Cook more space. Because they know he's shifty, they know he's got a good second gear, that he has good lateral quickness. So their, I guess their philosophies become, if we can let him see where the defenders are first, it'll spread the defense thin, and then he can kind of pick a lane, pick who he wants to run off of, and he can kind of create on his own, given the fact that their offensive line has had some up-and-down performances. For most teams, getting them out of their base would give you an advantage while running the ball, but against Buffalo, nickel is their base defense. And they've proven really adept at handling rushing attacks that try to spread the field that way. Given just the speed and aggression that they have from Teron Johnson, the fact that he's generally, I mean, the Jets game was probably his worst performance as a bill. Is that fair? Yeah. In the run department, at least over the last few years. It's one of the worst games I've seen from him. But by and large, he's very good. Christian Benford, very good. Kyrie Lam hasn't proven to be a liability. Dane Jackson, very good against the run. So spreading us out like that doesn't do you a ton of favors. It's going to be interesting to see how that approach from them meshes going up against our 11 personnel or their 11 personnel against our nickel formations. (sighs) Then we get to the bad. (laughs) And this is where this podcast gets a little bit fun. How does a team that is all the shit going for it? Oh, we've got star pass rushers. We've got a sweet running back. We've got this guy who catches the ball better than anybody. How do they end up in rock fights with Skylar Thompson? I have no idea. I've got some ideas. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Their offensive line play is really struggling. I mean, they're fighting it right now when they've been asked to go up against some of the NFL's better units. They go up against, the, you know, we were just talking about all the first-round draft picks and all the capital that the Washington football team has spent on the defensive line. And, Chris, we got to see it firsthand last year, didn't we? Mm. Like, they made Cody Ford look stupid. But yeah. Josh Allen was so good, he found a way around it. Well, in what was a game that took just... Just, again, more late-game heroics in order to pull victory from the jaws of defeat. Their offensive line allowed 11 tackles for loss, 11 quarterback hits, and two sacks against that defensive line. The week prior, going up against Arizona, who isn't known for playing strong defensive football, they allowed three sacks, nine quarterback hits, and four tackles for loss. When they played Miami, Miami's front seven has been generating so little pressure that they traded away a first-round pick for Bradley Chubb. And yet, in that matchup, they generated the most production from their front seven and defensive line than they have in a single game all season. Four tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits, one forced fumble, and three sacks. (laughs) Wow, you suck at this. None of that sounds like their offensive line is doing a great job, does it? No. (laughs) The problem for them lines up with the strength of the Bills' defensive line, which is that their interior offensive line stinks on ice. The the right guard, Ed Ingram, might be the worst of them. He's allowing a Cody Ford-esque 31 pressures and a whopping seven sacks. (laughs) You're not even nine games into the season and you've given up seven sacks? The ripple effect is that the rest of the interior offensive line is stuck trying to compensate, and together, they're all just tumbling down the stairs like the Three Stooges. They've allowed a combined 11 sacks, 36 quarterback hurries, and they've each taken part in 70 quarterback pressures through just nine weeks of football right up the gut in the quarterback's face. That would seem like something that plays directly into the hands of Buffalo, doesn't it? Yeah. They also have this weird thing where they're overly reliant on turnovers. The Vikings are fourth in the NFL in turnover differential at plus six. And so many of those takeaways have saved games for them. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm going Harrison Smith in that Dolphins game. He punches a ball out of Jalen Waddell's hands and Tua, or not Tua, Jesus Christ, uh, Skylar Thompson throws a sloppy ball to Waddle up the middle of the field and gets picked off by Harrison Smith to save a scoring drive right before halftime of that game. If he doesn't make those two plays, there's a good chance that they don't beat Miami. (laughs) So when you see that and you go, they're plus six, great, they're defensive, but they have 14 total takeaways on the season and they're only plus six. That's not great. You look at Kirk Cousins, he threw a pick against Washington last week, trying to be aggressive but lacking the arm strength for the throw he was attempting, 
and he's because he's the most you know we talked about Justin Jefferson he's the most targeted player on the team that that's a double-edged sword because people know if he's rearing back to throw there's a good chance there's one guy he's throwing the ball to and that tends to get him in a lot of trouble so he throws a red zone interception last week against Washington the previous week, he loses a fumble against Arizona that could have doomed them if his own defense hadn't responded with almost an immediate turnover. Almost like the Packers game for Buffalo. And it was the aforementioned three turnovers by the Minnesota defense that allowed them to hold off Miami's QB3 the game before that. Their offense has only one clean game from a turnover perspective. Just one, where they didn't turn the ball over. And their defense is doing an incredible job of taking the ball away to make up for it. But I think turnovers are one of those things. It's like, remember when Jarius Bird? Remember when he, oh, he's an, he's, a, he's an all pro. He's a pro bowler. He had nine interceptions. Never replicated that again. No. Turnovers are static. And unfortunately, you cannot rely on that to be the strength of your defense. Like, it's good. It's a nice to have to know that you have guys like Harrison Smith who have the intelligence to try to attack the football in certain situations rather than just trying to take the man to the ground. But even so, what happens when those dry up? Your offense has been turning the ball over every single week. That's not going to stop. Like, you do. What was Mike Tomlin's uh, quote when he was talking about benching? I think it was a punt returner. He was mad about the fumbles. And he was like, you do things. He goes, you do something twice in the NFL. It's considered a trend. Well, the trend says their offense can't be trusted to hang onto the football for a full four quarters. If a team like Buffalo can protect the football and play a conservative but effective brand of football, I don't know that their offense can avoid making enough mistakes to kind of give away their advantage. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And then there's the wide receiver support. Justin Jefferson, elite talent, draws a ton of the just a ton of everybody's attention. In theory, a lot like it's like a lot like how Bills fans look at Stephon Diggs and go, "Well, Diggs is so good. Obviously, Gabe Davis should be open. He should be open all the time because everyone's so worried about stopping Diggs." <sighs> It's easier said than done, as we know. One of the biggest issues they have in terms of sustaining any kind of offense is that there's nobody else around to pick up the slack. It's half the reason that they splurged trading for tight end TJ Hawkinson. And then in his very first game, Hawkinson broke the single game receiving record for a tight end. I think I saw that. Irv Smith couldn't do that? (laughs) No. No, Irv Smith could not. Irv Smith and uh, Roll Tide, he's not great. Just oh, I, shocker! An Alabama guy's not that an, good an in Alabama, the NFL. An Alabama player that makes the NFL not that good. Shocking. You go down the list, and I see Adam Thielen, seven targets per game over the last month. That's a pretty healthy share of the offense, right? After all the metrics we talked about receiving-wise when it came to the Buffalo Bills in our recap this week, seven targets per game is a healthy share of the passing game. That's more than some starters get. And he's got multiple games with less than 40 yards receiving during that span. His catch percentages are all over the fucking place. He had just three catches against the Commanders last week, 
And then the week before, he catches all six of the ball, six of the seven passes that got sent his way the week before for 67 yards. That's not that's not a great return on investment for a quarterback. And then there's some really ugly numbers attached to him that make you wonder why he's still their wide receiver, too. I mean, he's 75th among all wide receivers in the NFL in average separation. Remember when they didn't, like they re-signed Stephon Diggs and then just used him as a decoy because they were like, well, we have Adam Thielen and he's always open. Mm-hmm. The team let Diggs walk, drafted a younger version of him, or at least, a, in fact, you could argue maybe a little bit more explosive version of what he was. They didn't let him walk. Well, they traded him. Correct. They sent him packing, replaced him. Luckily for them, that replacement has been just as, if not more, dynamic. And yet, Thielen got old. Thielen got real old on him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he can't get separation, and that's against teams playing a heavy amount. Like, again, Washington, uh, Miami, teams that play man cover. He struggles to get away from that now. He's just not the same player he used to be when he was younger. But he's still getting targeted like he is one. Then you go to their speed threat, K.J. Osborne. You know, they're Isaiah McKenzie. Okay. Okay. He, Or at least he was supposed to be. Again. What, is he better? Well, in theory, I guess, he gets a healthy target share for a wide receiver three. And he's got three straight games with five targets over the last month. But he managed to turn that into eight yards, 18 yards, and then zero yards this past week, despite getting thrown at five times. How does that happen? Chris, It does that or does that not sound like the same disappointing Isaiah McKenzie we have on this roster? Yeah. Sounds exactly the same. He's 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 another guy whose yards per target are under four. He's just a wildly inefficient piece for their offense. And everyone goes, who cares? Okay, so they got Justin Jefferson and everybody else kind of sucks now. We've got Delvin Cook. We'll just lean on the rushing attack. Except they're not doing it. Six of their eight games this year, Cousins has thrown the ball more than 35 times. That'll happen when you hire, what is it, Kevin O'Connell? <laughs> Former quarterback, McVay disciple. You know they love throwing the ball. It's hilarious. You go, listen, you do know, like, Chris, they're 24th in the NFL in rushing attempts. You have one of the league's most dynamic. It's crazy that he's put up six touchdowns, knowing that they're 24th in rushing attempts. You know that this guy is an electric player. And your answer is, let's take old-ass Kirk Cousins and let's eight chains. Let's take eight chains and let him throw the ball 30 to 40 times a game. That almost seems like stupidity, doesn't it? It does. Like, I'm going to click on this at Pro Football Reference. I just want a quick one. I'm going to look at this. His attempts per game from week one to now, 32, 46, 41. Remember when we ragged on Josh Allen for throwing 63 times? Yeah. 46, 41, 41, 36, 40, 30, 40 this past week against the Commanders. 
what he, he's completing 50 to, to, to one, two, three, four games, five games with an under 62% completion percentage. That's that's what happens. Stop leaning into the least efficient part of your offense. And yet, for some reason, their head coach philosophically believes that this is the way. This is the way. We're seven and one. What could possibly go wrong? It's crazy. It is just crazy to me. Like It's going to be interesting to see what happens if Buffalo can play a little ball control offense on Sunday. What effect that might have on their head coach's willingness to keep going back to the well and throwing and just underutilizing the rush. If they do, it could go a long way towards helping the Bills hold serve in this. And there's some things that make me think that we could pull something like that off in sustaining a... Yeah, a lot of six, seven, eight, nine, ten play drives down the field to eat a lot of clock, and then giving the ball back to them after we kick a field goal and going, okay, dickheads, go ahead and throw it a bunch. See what happens. That brings us to the ugly. It shocked me to see that this team has seven wins, despite being one of the most poorest defenses in football. Like. You go back to the statistics and you take a look, though, at what happens when their opponents throw the ball, and there's a few things that stand out to me. First of all, their structure is ultimately a part of the problem. They're a team that plays a ton of zone coverage. They play cover two, third most in the NFL with the two high safeties. They line up with fewer than seven defenders in the box more than any team in the NFL. And they're putting nickel and dime backs on the field in lieu of traditional in-the-box defenders at the third highest rate in all of football. So they are a very light zone defense that should be adept at slowing down the pass rather than stopping the run. Now, Chris, we talked about another team from the NFC North that plays exactly like this in in the Packers. Yep. The thing with them is that it hasn't gone the way they expected it to. Patrick Peterson is having a great season. Yeah, the Cardinals let him go. They thought he was washed. He's having a phenomenal season. Across from Cam Dantzler is one of the most up-and-down quarterbacks in football. The fact that he's giving up ridiculous yardage and that the team didn't have anybody else to pivot to underscores that now with him out, that CB2 position could become a glaring weakness this Sunday with him already being ruled out, or at least close to out. Highly doubtful. You remember what happened the last time a team rolled out a really bad like, cornerback group that was beat up with injury against the Buffalo Bills at home? Did we beat the shit out of them? Gabe Davis happened to them because their cornerbacks couldn't stick with him. Uh-huh. Now... The bigger piece to this is that structurally, when you look at what that cover six thing that they like to do is, it really, this guy, Shandon, I'm going to say it is, I don't want to call him Chandon, just like I've been calling him Danielle Hunter, Chandon Sullivan. It's probably Chandon. Chandon? Chan, Tade, whatever. Chandon Sullivan. They play a ton of zone. They're the only team in the NFL that regularly runs the cover six which is this wonky zone that you deploy when a team runs 11 personnel that puts both a cornerback and a safety covering just one quarter of the field at the top over your the other team's best receiver, but downfield as though they're going to carry with him down the sideline. 
And then your weak side linebacker also cheats that way so that it takes away the deep cross. So if you look at another team that has one really great wide receiver and you want to take him away, you say, okay, the cornerback across from you is going to run zone, but he's going to stick with you once you enter his zone, the entire boundary. We have a safety that's going to hover over the top, but he's only playing that quarter of the field. He, his job is to just watch that guy off the line and make sure he can't get the, behind them deep. And then they also have a linebacker who's cheating to another quarter of the field to make up for where that safety is cheating over. Basically, they're boxing in your number one wide receiver to one hash mark, saying, listen, we're not going to give you anything underneath. We're, gonna let, we're not going to let you get over the top, and we're not going to let you get to the inside with this one guy. The problem is, is that that's three players all taking away your Z receiver. That leaves a boundary cornerback, a slot cornerback, and one other free safety to cover the other half of the field. And the safety is actually the crux of the problem here. And the middle linebacker is supposed to be responsible for both seams, basically by himself. Without a ton of safety help this season, their slot corner, Chandon Sullivan, has gotten his shit wrecked. 81% completion percentage allowed. He has just one game where he's allowed fewer than 75% of the balls thrown at him to, to be completed. He's allowed 471 coverage yards, and 314 of that is yards after the catch, which means if you throw it in front of him and he doesn't have a safety net over the top, he still takes bad enough angles to the football and in coverage that guys just run away from him. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of room to run when you can put it into the hands of a skill player anywhere near this guy. In his last three games, he's allowed two 100-yard performances by an opposing quarterback, and he's been targeted a whopping 20 times. Like, that, that's crazy. They know he's the he's the weak link. The, the, like Arizona and Miami, just between those two teams, 22 targets. They didn't pull him off the field because just like their cornerback too, they have no one else to pivot to. I can get behind that. So the problem for this guy in the Vikings is that with a backup cornerback too stepping in the game, who's going to be asked to step over Gabe Davis, Minnesota has zero incentive to change course. They're going to watch that Pittsburgh film and go, ah, fuck, we can't let Gabe Davis get open down the field regardless of what quarterback they have. So we're going to have to keep our safeties back and continue this trend of too high safety play. Except we're going to be doing it with bad cornerbacks, really bad cornerback play in front of us (laughs) for at least two thirds of the football field. And oh, by the way, the seams are going to be open. Dawson Knox is is due. Dawson Knox is a player who's proven that he's capable. He was open a ton in the Jets game, but Allen was, as we just kind of worked out, was frustrated, was pressing, ignored him for the most part. I guarantee you, whoever suits up a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, it's like this is going to be something that's drilled into their heads, that these guys leave you with a lot to work with, both in the middle and underneath, that can turn into big yards. Like, 
this Chandon Sullivan is a man on an island. And if Dorsey can't find a way to exploit that, because I trust me, their middle linebacker, Eric Hendricks, I love the hell out of that guy. He's one of my favorite linebackers to watch play the game of football, both in coverage, the way he supports the run. I think he's everything. And I think I like him because he's not a Tremaine Edmonds. He's not this big physical freak of a guy who you say, okay, that makes sense that he can run all over the field and make every play. He's kind of just if just to look at him, He's kind of an average Joe amongst middle linebackers. He just plays the game of football so fucking well that it's impressive. But even he can't stop other teams from orchestrating really great passing performances against them. Or at least good enough. Good enough that it moves the football and scores enough points. I mean, you look at their performances, Chris, and we talked about it. If their defense, with all that pass rush success, you would expect that they were holding teams under 20, right? Yeah. So the fact that they've only done it twice now against backup quarterbacks at the Commanders and the Dolphins, twice they've held an opponent since week one under 20 points. Like that right there is a bad sign. I just, I look at this and I say to myself, there are holes to these guys schematically and holes to these guys in terms of who their talent on the field is going to be that the Buffalo Bills will have to exploit. And so that brings me to this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. One of the first things you have to do is you got to exploit those midfield holes in their zone defense. And you have to do it with a player more explosive than fucking Isaiah McKenzie. Shakir, where are you? Khalil, I need you. Earlier this week in our recap, we talked about all the ways that statistically Shakir looks to be the more impactful player in the slot. Ultimately, we can't keep letting McKenzie's up and down nature of playing the game of football to keep us from succeeding in an area where we typically strive. I don't know. Doesn't this matchup almost seem too good to be true, though? Naheem Himes, I keep calling him Himes. I can't stop. What's a good, if you had like a mnemonic device that I could use to get this right, what would it be? An education. <laughs> Hooked on phonics? Yeah. <laughs> do they still sell that? I think they do. I just, Naheem Hines. Hines. Hines like ketchup. Ketchup is good on burgers. Burgers. Tailgate. Tailgate Bills games. No. Bills running back Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines. It's not hard. Just get it right. I'm like the Michael Scott of trying to like remember people's names. Is it, wait, is this is this is this going to be like a thing going forward for your inability to be smart? Like you can't type saber players correctly on Twitter when you spell their names out. Is it just now you can't speak Bills players' names? I don't know that I ever was able to. I mean, <laughs> what is it? Always sunny. It, it it don't don't sound right when it when it hits hits my tongue comes out my mouth. <laughs> it just does, doesn't sound it right. It doesn't sound. He's Naheen Himes now now forever. But either way, you've got to, you're going to have a bad corner in the slot with almost no help coming from either the linebacking core, his other cornerbacks, the safeties against guys like. Naheem and Khalil who are chomping at the bit to generate yards after the catch. 
I think you have to let both of them get some run against this guy while also trying to see if you can get digs into the slot using some pre-snap motion. It's a place I think we can absolutely dictate play to them, which will then open things up for deeper passing attempts once their very solid safety tandem is forced down into the box to support the linebackers and uh, the cornerbacks more, more consistently. Also, on defense... We need more run defense from the back line. They exposed us. The Jets did, and I gave them a pass and a recap, but they really did get us. And a lot of it was just Teron Johnson having an uncharacteristically bad game and our young players, Bernard, Elam, Johnson, Hamlin, all just repeatedly taking poor angles to the football. Now, that just comes with an experience. Some of that will be mitigated, hopefully, by the return of Matt Milano. But either way, their running attack combined with their quarterback savvy makes Delvin Cook a game wrecker if we let him be one. I mean, obviously, they're they're, they're not going to run him as much as you might think. But it just, we need those kids to learn from the film and learn from their experience last week of getting the ball run down their throat. To say, listen, this guy's just as fast. He's more savvy. He's got more lateral quickness. You guys have to be decisive. You're all athletes. That's why you're here. You just have to be decisive and break on things faster because you're not going to beat him in a foot race. That's a key to victory. The last one, Chris, I don't even put it down here on paper. It's just been mulling around in my head. You're looking at the show notes. Whoever plays quarterback whether it's Case Keenum, whether it's Josh Allen with a big arm brace on, and he's, you know, as you know, we talked about the UCL thing in our AFC's roundup this week. Now, hopefully, since we launched both of those into the sun at the same time, you guys have already heard that by now. If not, I urge you to go listen to it, because Kyle Trimble from Banged Up Bills came on, had a really in-depth conversation with us Or about they're going to listen to it next, because you listen in order of show release. Maybe you won't. Maybe, maybe Review, you preview. AFCE show last. Maybe you do that because you're a psychopath. And Elf also explained, I listen to what's interesting. I hop all over the place. You know, I've been cherry pick, like I cherry picked Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't listen to all of them. And I hop around. I just now started listening to the fifth, uh, uh, the fifth episode of Protect Your Parks. God, it's like a month and a half ago. Yeah, but I've listened to like five since then. I'm going back. I listen to what I want to. I don't dictate how people download our show. I just ask that they do it. I ask that they do it and drink a beer once in a while. That's all I ask. Mm-hmm. And, the, and if you don't drink a beer, I still love you. But whoever plays quarterback for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday, you're not going to be chucking the ball all over the yard. Deep passing is probably not going to, especially with those safeties, it's not advisable. And schematically, it's not something you want to be throwing into because by nature of what they like to do, they're going to be playing a lot of deep coverage. You're going to have things that you can make work for you underneath. You just have to be decisive. You can't get caught up in a lot of, okay, I want the ball to go to digs on this play and all up, they took him away. Whoever gets under center... If they can commit to a second read, significantly commit to a second read, they're probably going to have somebody open. 
There will be hay to be like yards after the catch could be the thing that wins us this football game in this one. You bring in Hines for a reason. Ah, look at that. I said it. Hell yeah. I deserve a second Montucky. Second, like I haven't had four. Yeah. (laughs) It's 830 at night on a Wednesday. There's no way you get to this point by having two Montuckies. Three, six, seven, eight. All right. All right. We're doing work over here. Either way. Your team went out and just invested capital in bringing in a pass-catching running back who's proven they can be dynamic in the open field. You have a rookie who's proven he can be dynamic in the open field. You've got slot players who generate yards after the catch. You've got a tight end who has been underutilized to a degree this season. And most importantly, you've got an offensive coordinator who's going to be licking his wounds after what is a game where all of his hubris probably came crashing back down on him to a certain degree. I just think that, again, whether we have a Case Keenum, whether we have a Josh Allen, the game plan would be the same because Josh isn't going to be trying to throw that 30-yard out, 20-yard out with that elbow. Instead, he'd probably just be playing decisive small ball and running when he's given the opportunity. Case Keenum could do you do the same thing for you. And I think that you as a football team, Chris, long-term, if we're going to talk about this and really kind of wrap up what we heard at the top of the show, just how Sean McDermott didn't really commit to a course of action. He was just like, well, we're, we don't know who we're going to start. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. We'll see day by day. Don't you think that this team owes it not only to Josh, because Josh will never like he'll never put he'll never put himself before the team. Yeah. He'll never say, I don't think I can play. He'll never say, ah, I will try to throw left handed. He'll never see. Well, exactly. He'll never come out and go, "Ah, but he might he might this third and long. He might throw Ah, left handed like Carson Wentz, though. In the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs in a game that he thinks matters, he's never going to look at it on third down and go, ah, we could punt this one away and just live to fight another day. He's going to jump your fucking linebacker. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. We've watched it. That's who he is. You're never going to get that out of him. For his sake, and also just for the sake of, like, this is what you pay this coaching staff for, isn't it? Yeah. You were Super Bowl favorites at the beginning of the year. Everyone looked at you and said, well, their roster is the deepest. They've got insurance policies. They've got depth. They've got young players who look promising. This is a Super Bowl caliber football team. Your quarterback gets hurt with something that you think that will get better, get noticeably better. He's proven in the past with the same injury that it will get notably better if you just let him rest it. This team deserves like they they owe they owe Josh Allen this, right? Josh yeah. Allen deserves to go stand on the sideline and hold the clipboard while this coaching staff puts their collective fucking paychecks together, puts their brain together, and just earns the shit. Go out there and come up with a game plan with the talent that you have on hand that everybody else thought made you a Super Bowl contender and go win a goddamn football game against a team that is one of the most highly suspect 7-1 teams I've ever seen. They've given every other squad that they've gone up against this season a chance to beat them. 
multiple chances to beat them. The Miami Dolphins would have had them if it wasn't for late turnovers and missed field goals. The Washington football team with Taylor Heineke almost had them. The Cardinals almost had them if it wasn't for bad turnovers late in the game and a couple questionable officiating calls. The Bears almost took them down. What, you're telling me the Buffalo Bills can't do that? We you can think those, those, those teams have good quarterback play? But also because we haven't mentioned it, if Allen's going to sit this one out. You don't think Case Keenum wants this one? Mm. You don't think Stephon Diggs wants this one? You don't think one? those two guys are sitting at home going, texting each other, just like, man, wouldn't it be cool to fuck these guys up? Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be cool just to fuck these guys up? Just once. Just to say that we both got ours after we left. Yeah. Just to say it. I'm telling you right now, I believe that you sit Josh Allen. I think you sit him. I think you let him rest. And I think that you turn to the team's leaders. You say, hey, Jordan Phillips. Hey, Ed Oliver. Hey, Von Miller. Hey, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano. Guys, I need you. This is the week you need to win me a football game. You turn around to the offense and you go, Doc, Morse, I need you. I need you to get these young offensive linemen in line. I need you. Saffold. Saffold, you're our worst offensive lineman. I need you to pick it up. I need you to get your fucking head in the game. Running backs. I need you to be waving your arms, making yourself available. Why? Because we're going to get these bastards, run after the catch. You're going to run it straight at them when they're coming, playing deep zones because they're terrified of Gabe Davis. We're going to run right up the back of that. We're going we're gonna to smoke these guys. Hey, hey Bass, we're going to kick a handful of 55-yard field goals. You can't fuck one of these up this time. There are no, there are no misses. You turn to the team's leadership and go, this is what you're wearing a C for. This is what you're getting paid $8 million a year for is games like this, where you don't have the safety net of a Josh Allen who can make up for all of your sins. You guys have to collectively go show that as a roster, you're worthy of holding up a Lombardi. Go win this game without one of the preseason MVP favorites. Prove that you're also worth a shit. And that it's not just him rowing the boat by himself. That's what I want to see out of this team. You do that, not only will we win this football game, but I think that'll send a message, right? Make this one close. Win or lose, it sends a message that the Buffalo Bills are the team that we thought they are, that their coaching staff is able to learn from their mistakes because that's the only way they'll do it. If they play the game they played against the Jets, this whole thing falls on its face. If they come out and they prove that, hey, we can learn, just like we talked about in the recap, if we can learn from our sins, make this a, make this a rock fighter, God forbid, win it, then th- that bodes incredibly well for the rest of our season. I think, th- I think they owe it to Josh Allen to try to go out there and find that. And I think that without him, I obviously I'm not advocate. Chris, is this team better or worse without Josh Allen? I'm not an idiot. Yeah. I know that we're a better football team, but right now I want the team to be better without him. And I also think that if putting him in a game like this against an NFC opponent, 
I don't know. I think if rest is what he needs, just like he needed in 2018 to come back and put on a show down the stretch, mm-hmm. we have to take a we have to take a look at what that you know what I mean. We got to yeah. see it. We got to take a look at what that's like. I I can't wait. Hopefully, you guys show up to party with us pregame. Show up, be loud, be fucking proud. Let's cheer these guys. Let's make that stadium. It's good. You're a dome football team. You want to come in here and play in the snow? Let's make that afternoon hell for them. I can't wait. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report.